Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in-house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps MTech Access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. To support our clients through the COVID-19 crisis and beyond, we launched this webinar series. Each week, we bring together two experts from the NHS to briefly present what is going on in their part of the health service. We have now converted this series into a podcast, so you can listen in as and when you like. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good afternoon and thank you again for joining us for our COVID weekly webinar um, ahead of the bank holiday weekend. Before we get stuck in this week, just a quick reminder that on June the 5th, we are doing a special Q&A session, uh, an hour long session where we're going to invite uh, questions from you in advance to our panel and have a, a broader discussion than we have done in the other sessions. There's going to be a survey at the end of this for you to put questions down or you can add them in uh, at the side as we go along uh, or send questions into nhsinsights at mtechaccess.co.uk. Also, just to uh, let you know, we've launched a new page on LinkedIn, an NHS Whispers page, where we're going to be bringing you more insight and commentary from, from inside the NHS as, as part of what we do. So on to, to this week's webinar. Uh, this week, we've seen a, a slight increase in activity in the NHS, um, hints of a return to normal, but all tempered with, uh, with a lot of concern about the, the public perception of the restriction uh, easing, um, potential likelihood of a, of a second wave coming along, which we might touch on at some point today. Um, it's a very confusing time. Last night, me and my wife were looking at our, our school returns policy and trying to figure out what all of that meant for us uh, and the children. So, yeah, as, as as we go on through this crisis, it doesn't get any easier for any of us, really. But what we're, what we're going to be doing at the over the next couple of weeks is looking at the changing face of, of care delivery. So previously, we've looked at all different parts of the NHS and what, what has been happening and how they've been responding. Now we are going to be looking a bit more forward to how the NHS is organising itself uh, and, and what some of the lasting change might be. So this week we're looking at system and hospital level and next week we're going to look at primary, primary and community care. So we're very lucky this week to have uh, two people that have been right at the coalface of, of dealing with COVID in their respective areas. We've got Berenice Groves, who's the Director of Operations at Blackpool Teaching Hospitals. And we've got Tina Teague, who is uh, currently the COVID Resilience Manager for Devon, and they're going to be giving us their, their views on what's been going on uh, locally for them. So, Tina, um, welcome. Thanks for coming along. Um, just coming to you first, you're obviously working across the, the whole system in, in Devon. So can you tell us a bit about what you've seen at system level um, and how the NHS has reorganised itself to handle COVID? Great. Um, thanks, Tom. Um, so um, I started working with COVID probably around March time when it kind of kicked off and we were 
expecting a peak at Easter. Um, and uh, my focus was around creating the kind of resilience in primary care to avoid as much as we could possible impact on the rest of the system. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's really interesting because it was fantastic to see how quickly um, different um, part of the system responded and there was you, there was a genuine breaking down of boundaries and everybody got stuck in to do the right thing to get things moving quite rapidly and we um you know we did major scale transformation in in the space of about 14 days that you know perhaps in the past would have taken two or three years to do so it was really good so you know kind of for me my main observations were you know the rapid response um with no boundaries and and um, and also the coming together of organizations so it felt like the system came well together really really good and responded quite quite well did did you feel that any parts of the system were better equipped or, or worse equipped to to respond um, so, so I would say because of the observations made nationally around what we had seen across the country, the idea was to protect um, secondary care as far as we possibly could. So, so I would say that it, it kind of felt to everyone that that, that was the right thing to do um, to avoid, um, you know, over overburdening secondary care. Um, but, but it didn't feel like they were, you know, any part of the system was treated differently to another. It felt that there was collective agreement that that was the right approach and the right thing to do. And all the kind of partners came together to enable that to happen. And, and that's really interesting because that sounds like a, you know, forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but that sounds like a quite, quite a new thing within the NHS that everyone's kind of buying into the into the same vision is that did it feel like a change in culture and that things were were being done in different ways yeah absolutely tom i've spent 20 years of my career working in service transformation in in the health service and it was it was a dream for me to see you know some things that maybe i tried to do 20 years ago that i started in my career were happening overnight so i think it was genuinely new territory and a different way of working for everyone uh, and you know people were excited and and you know everything is it was happening quite quickly and i think that that was really a good thing so yeah um you're you're absolutely right in your observation <laughs> good stuff um, Berenice, just for everyone's benefit, we can't see you, but hopefully you're still there on the phone. Um, just coming to you now, uh, what are the, the most notable changes you've seen within your trust in, in how care is being delivered? Uh, hi, hi, Tom, and uh, apologies that you, you can't see me today. Um, I think, uh, just to introduce Tom, uh, so obviously I am the, the Exec Director of Operations here, but I've been, I was appointed as the Strategic Incident Director for the Trust. Uh, to manage COVID um, through the period. Um, and, and just to say that we actually started some of the planning that we put in place right back in February, and it seems a, an awful long time ago when we started to develop pods for people to come and get some, uh, some swabbings to be done, and all managed through a very, very small emergency department. Um, when, this, when this really kicked off in, in March, late March um, time, um, I, I think as Tina quite rightly said, um, one of the, the best parts about it is the, the transformation and the service improvement 
uh, does happen very, very quickly. We're really bureaucratic. We um, um, do business cases to death. In our own organization, a business case can come through five times before we signed up to it. Um, and really, within a matter of days, we were making decisions um, and, and we'd actually introduced proper command and control where we were able to authorize the finances and obviously authorize the changes uh, that needed to happen. And that's because of the pressure that we were under in the organization. We needed to make it safe for patients actually coming into, into there. I mean, I can go into some of the changes, but um, I'll, I'll hand back to you. No, I mean, it would be great if you've got any any sort of specific examples of, of some of the changes that you brought in, sort of any of the sort of operational or structural things that you, you've done differently that really sort of summarise how things have gone. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so, so, so some of the things that we, um, we did very, very quickly is um, we started to really embrace the use of technology, which I'm sure everybody will appreciate across the board. It's been a real fight. Um, and, um, you know, we, we've had consultants that absolutely have refused point blank to take on um, different ways of working. And within days, we were we stood down face-to-face -face, uh, consultations for outpatients, and we'd set up the use of technology to allow us to do uh, attend anywhere um, across, across our organisation and certainly across our ICS, which I know you'll come on to. And very similarly to that, uh, primary care and our community services were used in this as well. So linking into care homes and nursing homes um, to provide end-of-life support and um, palliative support and um, a, a kind of uh, reviews of patients through technology. Um, the, the management of, uh, of patients, um, so what, one of the things we did recognise through the, the outpatient changes that we, we made was that sometimes the contact, uh, especially for the shielded patients that they had through our follow-up referrals was the first contact that some of these patients had had for a long time. So managing to link them very quickly into other services. And I think that, that's the best bit is about how all the providers have really linked up closely. So it didn't matter whether we worked for the mental health or we worked for an acute trust or worked in the community. Um, everybody would sort of share resources and support each other. The other yeah. area was around um, access and the independent sector. So you'd be aware that the uh, government signed up uh, contracts until the end of June to to provide um, additional resources and capacity through the independent sector, an area that we, we didn't really have a lot of access to before so that we could keep some of our cancers and non-urgent operations continuing. Um, and, and another one just to, to highlight was just location of services. So um, some time back, there was a direction of having the urgent treatment centers co-located within our um, acute trust so that, that, that we could link those in very much with our emergency department. Um, and literally within two weeks, we'd actually moved that service out lock, stock and barrel um, to a, a kind of um, primary care center facility. Uh, to provide us more capacity, but actually, as a result of it, improved some of the pathways, um, and, and they will absolutely remain. So I'll stop, pause again in case there's any questions. <laughs> that, that, that's all fantastic. Thank you very much. I mean, what, one thing that you 
mentioned right at the beginning there was about the sort of the, the pace of change, I suppose, the, the well, I was going to say the elimination of business cases, but at least the sort of taking a different approach to how things are being uh, being done. Do you see that as a cultural shift now within the trust? I mean, a lot of a lot of our audience are, you know, very interested in redesigning services and pathways and those sorts of things. And I think we've all, you know, through our various jobs, experienced kind of that frustration with how long it can take to get things done. Do you see that as being a lasting change now? I do, I do absolutely. Um, one of the things we did re really quickly, and although it wasn't there right at the start, because um, I, I am aware that we were almost developing processes as we were re reacting to situations, but we put in a very good close governance process around um, capturing all the changes, how the decisions weren't being made. Um, part of that was um, having really good strong clinical engagement, something which had been lacking before this all kicked off. That's been a, a really positive um, addition, really, to, to, to all of this. Um, the, the, because of that, and people could see the benefits, and we are continually monitoring and auditing the benefits as we go through, um, we, we were ask, actually asking people for um, sort of what we call change oversight logs, to put changes back to how they were before. So it, it will be a case of, you know, if, if this, this change and this pathway is working better, why would we ever go back to what we've done previously? Um, and also, as a result of that, we've proven how quickly, by people working together, a few strong heads, we can make a change really, really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's something we've heard throughout our series from all parts of the NHS is, is that sort of collective vision. And I suppose that the, or then the, the next phase of what the NHS is looking at, you know, in, well, many things, obviously, but the, the idea of kind of the return to routine care and trying to get some of those patients that maybe haven't been seen, you know, all across the board. Um, how do you expect hospital services to adapt to increasing that that routine work just uh, i suppose in my mind thinking about you know the moment there's that shared vision around do what we can to to get through covid as yeah. services are starting to again are, are they going to be the same way yeah i suppose tom this is probably one of um, our biggest challenges so um it's 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 really easy in some ways isn't it to say right we'll stop and doing that um, there's a lot, a lot of patients out there that said, actually, I want to stay safe, so I don't want to come anywhere near the place anyway, so, so that the actual activity drops down. But we do absolutely need to get back to making sure that people who have critical operations, um, you know, life-threatening emergencies, that they actually do start moving back into to the NHS and other services that are required. Um, so we're, we're, we're currently, and, and this is not a done deal at all, it's been quite a complicated process, um, we're busy doing some modelling uh, around all the organisations, looking at our bed capacity, looking at, we're, we're, we're being hit with having to take, in our organisation, about 150 beds out of the organization and you know the pressures that we were in under previously but that's just in order to make sure that patients are safe and they're socially distanced while we manage them 
Um, so less beds, um, we've got to accommodate different pathways. Um, and as we talk about kind of having a, a clean pathway, green pathway and a red pathway um, for, for COVID positive patients as well. Um, and on top of all that, it's accommodating um, access to the staff being available, the PPE being available, people's anxieties. Um, so patients that were really, so if I, I give an example of 200 people being invited back for endoscopy and um, only 91 agreed to come back, um, it's the pressure that we've got with, with patients. So we're absolutely working through all of that and we're putting all those pathways in place. And as I said, alluded to earlier, the use of the independent sector um, is, is being a massive benefit to us at the moment uh, to, to try and help us out with some additional capacity. Fantastic, thank you. And, and in terms of obviously, there's you know countless services within within the trust that you're going to need to remobilise at some point. How are those decisions around prioritising being made? Which services take priority over others? Yeah, well, it, it, it's very, as I say, it's very clinically driven. So um, we're very lucky. We've got a, a really strong medical director. Um, if anybody wants to go on to any of the websites, he delivers really good, um, clear patient messages on a on a week to week basis. Um, one trying to you know encourage people to come back into our services, but also uh, reminders about how to keep people safe. So he very much leads that clinical prioritisation. And um, in the first and foremost, it, it was absolutely about the the urgent that that were identified ages ago um, and the cancers. But the also looking at so if you, even if you look at kind of some of the orthopaedic operations, you know, we, we could end up affecting somebody's mobility if we don't crack on and um, and do something about that as well. So. Um, the yeah. clinicians have a panel and they, they work through that to um, agree which is the priorities and then it's about encouraging the patients to come back. Brilliant. Thank, thanks very much. Um, so Tina, coming back to you, um, obviously we talked talk there a little bit about how pathways are changing and priorities are having to be sort of decided upon. In terms of a lot of the changes that you've seen locally around how patients are being directed and, and what what's happened with the pathways do you see a lot of those changes lasting yourself yeah um so tom can i i just want to kind of add on to something that yeah, just absolutely. said which is, is is quite interesting is so i totally agree with everything she said especially around trying to persuade patients to come to to access services and one of the things that we're quite worried about um is um you know, this kind of the implications of the delays, because we've already seen that now um, in primary care that we've sort of relaxed um, the focus a little bit because we don't have the numbers of uh, um, COVID that we were anticipating. We, we're worried that the patients who are presenting are presenting with higher acuity. So they've been hanging on to their um, illness for much longer than they would have in the past, which has got implications. And we can't persuade them to, to go to the hospital for the reasons that um, Berenice was just saying. So we have a real issue about how that the system reconnects with um, 
you know, at higher acuity presenting later. And, you know, obviously the acutes will have a backlog that they need to catch up with. So there are some issues about how we, we work around, around that. But, but to answer your question is that um, it's interesting because we're going through a similar process as well. So we're doing something called rapid learning cycles. And basically, this is a process of going because because the thing about change is you want to capture it whilst it's happening, because if you don't, people forget very quickly. And there are, there are some people getting twitchy going, I want to go back to normal. There is no normal. You know, this is this is changed forever. And um we need to look at what the new normal is. Um, so we're doing a process of rapid learning cycles, which is about analyzing as things happen very quickly. What do we like about this change? You know, how did it come about? What do we like about it? What do we want to keep? What do we want to change? Um, and so rather than gain, we will stop doing this. It's, you know, what could we improve about it? Because if it's a good change and if it's a positive thing, then we want to keep it. And a few examples of this is, you know, this is one of my favorite stories and it's related to uh, Berenice's point about the um, video consultations is that um, there was a patient who had a video consultation with an acute consultant and they were able to, to um, add his, GP into the um, consultation. So, you know, how amazing is that to be able to have a three-way sort of system connected consultation, beneficial for the patients, educational for the primary care clinicians, good for secondary care because they can connect with the primary care. And that's really, you know, part of the really good initiatives that we don't want to lose. Um, you know, we've reduced the need for patients to travel. We've, we, we're triaging patients more, so we say patients some unnecessary journeys so we don't want to go back to um, anything that was beneficial for the patients or beneficial for the systems we really want to make the most of keeping those those changes going yeah thank you and I mean that that example is is you know incredible and and I suppose it's what people have dreamed of for years do you do you sense that there's a, a bit more of a shift in focus towards the patient being the centre of care, which is, you know, we've talked about patient-centric care for, for years, but again, the system hasn't always executed it properly. Do you think that's going to change? Um, I think it's more about the, the kind of the multidisciplinary team in its wider sense around the patient. So, you know, absolutely what's the, what's the right thing for that patient, but how do we as a system work collectively to deliver what's the right thing for that patient. So rather than putting our own organizational needs, um, you know, um, as, as using them as potential barriers for doing what we need to do, I, I think it's really good that we, we have learned that we can collaborate, we have learned that we can take a multidisciplinary approach and set aside our organizational boundaries. So we should we should do that. And it's 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 a really good thing to be able to see primary care, secondary care, the voluntary sector, the local authority, community services, all connecting around, you know, what's the, um, what's the right thing to do for those patients. And one of, another one of the examples I can give you is, um, you know, we've got a lot of anxiety around patients who are shielding because some of those patients, you know, they will be the patient, our patients who are most vulnerable and will be on that list for flu vaccinations. And we're already starting to think about rather than each of us in inviting patients for flu vaccinations as a system, 
How do we capture? It doesn't matter who gives the patient the flu vaccination. Where's the safest and the best place to give the patient that vaccination? Is it someone who's going to their home for something else that could just give them that vaccination? Is it a car park in the supermarket where that vaccination can take place? Is it whilst they're in secondary care having a scheduled appointment done to minimize that foot footfall and the the contacts that the patient has to interact with. So for me, that some of the, the, the things that you and I would describe as patient-centered care, but it's an MDT approach about the system working together. Yeah, fantastic. It's really interesting because in the first webinar we did, which is probably eight weeks ago, something like that, uh, right at the end, I asked for a one-word answer on whether uh, the panelists thought this was, you know, a real shift in the move towards integrated care. And they very gave a one word answer of yes, which was, was very encouraging. I suppose thinking about that, that system perspective, and, and I'll come to both of you with the same question, where obviously there's been huge amounts of positive change and there's a real sort of clear desire and direction of, of bringing things close together. Where do you think the biggest risks are in seeing that through and following it through so, so that we are achieving that? Um, I'll come back to you, Berenice, if I can with that. Sorry, Tom, the, I, the biggest risks in delivering? In, in kind of the, the, the move towards integration of services and, and the collaborative working piece. Um, the human factor, really, because what, what we've had is a burning platform. We've all responded to it and we've responded well to it. Um, but then it's, it's so easy for people to just go back into their own organisation, um, finances, um, start to affect um, how we're working and I think um, obviously the, the government's travel was uh, was about developing the integrated um, care services, the integrated care providers and this has really really pushed us down that. Um, we, we, we've developed um, cells across the whole of the um, ICS now um, and, and we're, we're even now looking at are we going to deliver cancer services in this hospital or we're going to deliver you know and oncology in this hospital um so so it's really pushing us to do that so it's 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 only going to be us ourselves that let that happen we we, we can yeah. push this forward yeah does it feel like there's a bit of a need to to crack crack on and sort of get some of the changes affected so that people can't ebb back from that again I absolutely do, and I, th I think that's why um, they've agreed to keep, um, well, it's certainly a level four incident now. Um, they've asked us to keep our incident control centres up and running at least until the end of March time. So I think if, if we work in this way, we can keep the momentum going um, and, and work together to embed some of the collaborative changes we've been trying to do for the last five, six years, as Tina says. Wonderful, very, very optimistic outlook. We like that. Uh, and so, Tina, coming to you, I think same question about where, where do you see the risks to sustaining some of the change? 
Um, so I agree with the human factor because it worries me when I hear people saying, when can we go back to normal? So that's the thing that worries me because there's this kind of psychological, um, you know, th this is temporary. We, I need to go back to something else. Um, that's my first one. I, I guess for me, the second one, which which no one is talking about or unless they're talking about it, but I've missed it. And, you know, Bernice will be more at the forefront of this being in the acute trust is um. So all of the kind of boundaries were broken down when we had to respond to COVID. And by that, I mean, you know, the, you know, quick plans, whatever you want to call them, those kind of cost improvement plans, which freed up people to think creatively about what are the right things to do and the right services to put in place. And I suppose I'm worried um, that um, we're not talking about kind of what I would describe as payback, they, they will be, you know, there'll be consequences on the impact on the economy and everything else. So I guess I'm a little bit worried about whilst the creativity and the willingness to work together is what's the, you know, what might come round the back to, to, to bite us and may they, will they be announcements about cost improvements that will need to be made to bridge the gap about any spending that was made. So I guess for me, that would be the greatest risk is that if we undo all the good stuff that we've done, because we've been presented, particularly the acute, so who are always facing this problem, we get presented with the massive of um, recovery, financial recovery plan, which means that yeah. there may have to be some challenges. Yeah. Have, have you got quick quick comments on that then, Berenice? No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I said very, very quickly, I said finances, um, because we've been in a, a very different place uh, lately where it's a case of if you need to spend, um, you can do. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've been starting to get the direction back of um, no more capital spend without it following this process, have to get agreement from the from the central teams. Um, so that just, just starts to delay things. And, and as uh, Tina says, it starts to show the shoots of trying to push things back to, to normal and save and making costs. So, um, if we if we continue to work together in the way that we're actually doing, we actually will save money. But if we stop stop it and say cost improvement plans, we'll go back to how we were. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you both very much. We're, we're out of time now, but um, yeah, thank you both so much for for your insight today. That was you know hugely uh, valuable, certainly for me, and, and hopefully for our audience as well. Uh, thank you everyone at home for joining again. Um, I hope you all have a, a good bank holiday weekend. Um, just a reminder that next week we're looking at the, the changing face of care delivery from the, the primary and community care perspectives. The following week, June the 5th, again a, a reminder, if there's any questions that you want to ask of our some of our panellists from the last few weeks, send them in now. Uh, there'll be a survey that follows uh, the, the webinar now. If you want to submit any, we're going to have a look through all of those and pick out the, the most common ones to, to put to our panel. So thanks again, everybody. Uh, have a good weekend and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we can support your market access strategy, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.